All right. As we move towards our time where we're listening for God's voice in Scripture, God's voice for our community, God's voice for our lives, um, just a reminder that we're in the season of Lent, which is the season before Holy Week and Easter. Um, it starts next week with uh, next Sunday with Palm Sunday, and then we move into what's called Holy Week. Um, and so this has been a time where we focused on um, a lot of a lot of things related to prayer. Um, our adult Sunday school in the back at 9:30 has been related to different scripture, a scriptural journey of prayer, and we've been dealing with different topics that draw us and often draw us into prayer each week. Um, and so I think the heading today is either, is it conflict? I think it's conflict. That's the overarching heading. I was trying to remember, is it trouble or conflict? Um, so we're going to hear from Scripture on this in a second, and Karen will be our reader. Um, and then we'll, we'll move in to um, kind of the sermon and hearing about it. Um, when we get through this season, so just a, a heads up on adult Sunday school. Easter Sunday morning, we will not have it, but we do have it next week. Um, and next week we'll be talking, if you're interested, we'll be dis- discussing kind of how to pray your faith into particular issues in your life. So how to, how to kind of develop a, a way of like applying the power of what we call the gospel into particulars of your life. Um, and then after Easter, we'll be looking at the Psalms. And we'll, we're going to be doing that in the adult Sunday school and in the sermons. So, that's it. Karen, it's our reader. Today's readings are John eleven forty seven to fifty seven, John sixteen thirty three, and Psalm three. They can be found on pages 991, 996, and 499 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. John 16, 33, I have told you these things 
so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Psalm 3. <coughs> Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield all around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. invite you to pray with me as we look at this. Our gracious God, as we come into a space where <clears throat> we dedicate a part of our lives to listening, to communing with you and with others who look to you, whether we come this morning with a lot of doubts, a lot of skepticism, maybe feeling like we don't belong here, or whether we come... Um, excited to do something that's very personal and true to who we are. Um, wh wh whatever we come from, um, we've been swimming and living and walking in messes, even if we're not always acknowledging it. There's the messes that come at us. There's the, the evil, the harm, the opposition that comes at us from the outside, and then there's that that we bring to the world from our own very hearts. Although we'd like to believe it's not true, the world is broken around us, and we are broken from the inside out. And so we're more, really, we're more broken than we want to admit. And the story of your grace in Scripture tells us that we're more loved through Jesus now. We're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Broken and loved. Something we don't want to hold together. We want usually one or the other. We want to be miserable in our brokenness or we want to pretend it doesn't exist and that we're just 100% lovable and fantastic on our own. But it's the combination of the two that, that you bring to us, that you teach us, that is brand new to amidst all the outlooks that we could take in this world. So we invite you now to speak to us through that kind of grace, that kind of outlook, the undeserved love that transforms and that leads us on a new path, a new identity in Christ. Speak to us now in such a way that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the question of the week here, and there were a lot of answers because the question was, do you like conflict? And so that one, people wanted to respond this week. And so uh, what, here's what you said. Someone said no, because there can be so many things that can happen, like a funeral and a birthday party on the same day. That's what conflict can be like. Uh, someone said yes, it's a growth opportunity. <laughs> It's opportunity to find common ground where the truth of God's love lives in us. 
Someone says, I'd rather have conflict that leads to better understanding than perpetual misunderstanding. Um, someone else says, is this a trick question? Uh, nah, I try to avoid conflict as much as possible. Here's to being a seven. So that's Enneagram personality test language there. If you don't know what we're talking about, seven is a type. Someone says, I hate conflict because, but it seems to be a frequent theme in my life. Someone else says, husband, yes. Wife, no. <laughs> Do you like conflict? Uh, someone says, I don't know, I'm conflicted about that. <laughs> and someone else says, hard pass on conflict. I think I run into more people who are conflict avoiders than conflict lovers. Um, I've met all types, but I think I run into more of those. And today we are looking at three passages that bring us into the topic of conflict or trouble. It's kind of like the bigger category is trouble, and the world surrounds us with trouble. And, but another, but, but we're sort of focusing kind of from trouble down into conflict, like talking about it in terms of conflict a little more. And there's nothing like that I can think of more, that is more influential in people um, over the 11 year journey with this church when I meet someone who is, is just kind of starting to explore Christianity or starting to walk in the door to city life. More than anything else, the story is most likely to include that there's been some trouble lately. There's been some trouble or conflict, and some of the maybe the frameworks or the answers that were working before, it's starting to be clear that it's not working, and so there's a sort of openness. It's a part of our life. Conflict, human conflict, even where it feels like there's opposition, and maybe even where you feel like, in the language of Psalm 3 that we just read and was up on the, on the wall, you feel like there's an enemy. And maybe there's a little bit of like it's an imagined en enemy, but, or maybe it's real. And so we look at these passages. One of them is, two of them are from the Gospel of John. One of them gives you this incredible glimpse of how Jesus' Jesus's life, as he walked along, he was surrounded by conflict. I like, I've learned over the years, and this has probably its good sides and its bad sides, I like people to like me. And it, and it feels like conflict when I read into it that maybe they don't like me. Jesus, this passage is, people don't like him. People really don't like him. They're opposed. They're having secret meetings about their opposition. And they're plotting. They've got spies out there. I mean, really, really, really bad. They want to arrest him. Jesus dealt with conflict and opposition and enemies. And then he, he also says, in, in another place in John, he talks about how there will be trouble. In this world you will have trouble. And then we looked at Psalm 3, which is a sort of a prayer, praying through trouble. So we're going to look at these three passages and kind of take a journey, really, with the Bible through the topic of trouble and conflict today. And really, there's three things we want to do and so we'll talk about how the Bible kind of meets us in what we, what we want, our preferred path through trouble. We want to ignore it, we want to evade it, and we want to repay it. 
Okay, so we're going to walk through. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about us wanting to ignore it, evade it, and repay it. So first of all, trouble ignored. We want to ignore it. Too often we are, we just want to be naive. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's fake. Maybe it's just a learned thing. Maybe it has zero amount of conscious uh, effort in the moment, but just sort of like, you know, what trouble? What's, what problems? But the truth is it's all around us. There's, you know, there's trouble as I'm trying to <laughs> get my words out and be heard. No, this is what Winston Churchill said about the world. He says, the world, this dusty and lamentable ball, is now too beastly to live in. People act so revoltingly, they just don't deserve to live. This is Winston Churchill. And, you know, so that was going back a ways into the time of World War II. But we have, we have our quotes today. You know, we have Rihanna. She's saying, get, get them haters out, out your circle. Smile in your face, but they all, want to, all they want to do is bring you down. It's Rihanna. Taylor Swift, she's in her country phase. She, she sang this popular song. Someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me. And all you're ever going to be is mean. People are haters. People are mean. Everyone can see it, it seems, but sometimes we act like it's not there. We play dumb. We just want to kind of put on a smile. We want to just, hey, get along. Let's pretend it's not there. Maybe a really good example of this is in the modern, in the current climate around race in America. You know, that someone might uh, exhibit this kind of, you know, ignoring the problem by saying something like, uh, well, you know, I, I'm colorblind. You know, I don't, you know, or they might say, you know, thank goodness we live in an era now and Martin Luther King has done his work and we are, racism has been done away with. You know, and isn't it so wonderful to live in this kind of world today? You know, the, the, the Black Lives Matter people, what, you know, aren't they just kind of overreacting and, and uh, making too big of a deal out of something that's not really there? Naivete, ignoring the problem. Another way to look at it is, I like the language of iceberg when it comes to our own selves, right? We've got this little bitty part of our life that's on the top that we can see, but honestly, we're going in a direction that we're going with our life because most of the weight is underwater, unseen, unexplored, and we'd prefer to just not go there. It's a lot easier to just go with the flow and not go down, not dig down into, you know, wounds, Wounds that are calling out for healing, for resolution. Maybe paving over trouble in a key relationship in our life that's similarly calling out for us to address it and to grow through it. And so we prefer to ignore. And so it starts by just acknowledging that um, the Bible is very comfortable drawing you in to trouble, to conflict, and having you look at it. That's where it begins. It starts by just coming to terms with the trouble, calling it what it is, and being willing to pay attention to it and to begin to engage. But the Bible also gives us something when we try to evade, because even as we try to engage trouble and conflict in our life, a lot of times the very ways we go about it are kind of like the way you kind of walk around something carefully and just kind of kind of got this sudden ability to just... You know, be very flexible and move around like Gumby. Move around what's right in front of you. And so engage the trouble. 
And we tend, the ways that we do this, we tend to engage in it in ways that actually create new problems rather than actually lead towards healing. I'm sure you're familiar with these. These are some of our favorite ways of dealing with trouble. There's sort of the, there's the complacency route where, um, you know, we see it and we can acknowledge it, but we find some quick and easy way to say, you know, that's just them. You know, that's just how it is at work. You know, that's just, that's just me. I'm just who I am and, you know, can't teach old dog new, dogs new tricks or I don't want to ruffle any feathers or I just, we're just going to go with the flow. Isn't that what a nice, kind person does? Doesn't that show that I'm so forgiving and so wonderful that I can kind of just let all of that trouble and those issues go? Indirect, uh, or so the complacency route. But there's also, so the second one, one of our favorites, is the indirect engagement. Where we begin to engage, we say, yes, I need to get this kind of off my chest, I need to let, some, let off some steam, but I don't go to the person that's, that the problem is with or that where the kind of the growth can happen and the engagement and the communication can happen, I go to you over here because over here, I don't have to do the hard stuff. I can just complain. I can get someone a little bit on my side. We can both look over there and go, oh, yeah, you know her. You know what she, kind of stuff she does. And, of course, that doesn't go anywhere. And, and, and usually things get worse. You know, you're adding fuel to the fire. You're just spreading the trouble rather than dealing with it. And so, we have these favorite paths to engage in the trouble in non-helpful ways, in non-growth ways. And um, the Bible's very pointed about this. In fact, let's bring in one other passage. Matthew chapter 18. This would go as... um, you know, a lot of the book of Matthew is written with the early church in mind. So it's telling the story of Jesus, very much knowing that this is being told to the earliest groups of Christians and, how, and they're trying to struggle with how to be together, how to behave. The Gospel of Mark very much has that tone to it throughout. And so in Mark, Mark eight, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, um, and I love the heading. The heading over this is Dealing with Sin in the Church. That's the, just a title that's given to it. Um, it. It actually isn't a part of the text itself, but that's the title of this section. And so this becomes sort of a, a common uh, thing that's taught in churches when it comes to how to just work out your differences and your problems and times when you feel like someone else is out of line or someone you might even say is sinning, as this text says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. It starts there and it moves on. And, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, it's almost like by reading this out loud today, I'm starting more fires than I can put out in this sermon, which I was advised as a young preacher by a mentor not to do. <laughs> um, so I've done it. But I'll just say that you can, you can dig into this, um, but I think it's a little more honest than just picking the one part out that I, that I want to look at. 
But one of the fires that I just put, that I just started, is this treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Just an aside, the how did Jesus treat people who were pagans and tax collectors? With love and compassion. And Jesus is telling them how to treat, you know, so it's often been read, this has been read as if almost you, you shun someone and treat them like a horrible person, right? So I just want to kind of demystify that and say, I think Jesus is just saying there might be a point where, you know, in the life of the church, um, where someone really by their behavior is basically telling you, oh, at this point, it, it's not time anymore to treat like there's these expectations of we share the same kind of core beliefs and expectations. At this point, I just kind of have no pretense about like, hey, you're just, you know, just like I would be kind and loving and gracious towards anybody who, you know, who doesn't believe the same things as me. It's kind of like that, I think, is where that's going. But notice, but that's, that's sort of an aside. Just between the two of you, that's, that's what I want to focus on in terms of where does the Bible take us as we're advised to go into the trouble, into the conflict, is go to the right place, go right to where the healing and the reconciliation can start to be worked out. So when we try to ignore trouble, the Bible's kind of telling us to open our eyes and be real about it. When we try to evade trouble by kind of dealing with it but not dealing with it and causing more trouble in the end, the Bible's essentially saying, and Jesus is saying, go right in, but go where it matters most and begin to work things out. The Bible's not afraid of conflict. And then so we move, as we move deeper into it, and as we go in, then there's eventually the issue of make them pay. There's the instinct of make them pay, right? So we often want to repay the trouble. We have this natural impulse, and it's a good impulse. It's a it's reflective of and it flows out of our natural built-in sense of justice that we have, that there should be a, a balancing of scales, that right is right and wrong is wrong, and that, that, that the world in some way should work out in that way. Okay, so we want to repay trouble, and so Psalm 3 is what we look at here when we consider this. Psalm 3 does something interesting right off the bat, it gives us some language that maybe we don't expect the prayer book of the Bible to give us. Psalm 3 says, Lord, in verse 1, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And maybe we don't expect the Bible to, to kind of give us, because that's what the Psalms are doing. They're giving you words to train you kind of in how to pray through all the various situations and emotions that life brings your way. And so maybe we don't expect this prayer book to be teaching us about praying about enemies and foes and you know does isn't that not very kind not very loving to lay, be lay, so quick to label people what's going on with this and i think just the reality is the bible is is very real about um life you will you will meet people in life that maybe they seem like they're out to get you or that you have proof that they very much are out to get you just in the way that jesus had these people doing these secret meetings and plotting that we will face this in life. This is a real thing. There are enemies that people have in this world, and it really stinks, and it makes life miserable. And some of you have had this. You've been in these places in life, whether it's a workplace, whether it's church, whether it just, you know, even within your own family. And it's incredibly painful and hurtful, and it's real. 
And so Psalm 3 becomes a prayer, really, of teaching you how to pray through that very real situation that you might meet in life. At the very least, maybe you haven't had someone like that in your life. At the very least, Christians have a long tradition of just their worldview, our spiritual worldview, saying that there's a whole set of spiritual enemies. There's Satan and all the tempters that are out there that are kind of working every angle constantly. And so there's a way of like looking at the life in terms of praying, looking at the Christian life in terms of praying through having a spiritual enemy always kind of working against you and leading you away from God. And so within this, as we, as we get real about this, as Psalm 3 leads us to, and if you begin to pray a little bit about your enemies to God, then these kinds of things come out, right? Make them pay. You know, we have this desire with people doing terrible things in our lives or or maybe terrible things at large that we read about in the paper and we have this urge, make them miserable, God, or just silence them or foil their plots in some way, incapacitate them so they stop being able to do this stuff that's so clearly damaging or we just want revenge, just plain and simple, just the urge to get back. So I want you to think about Psalm 3, and maybe this is new for you, maybe not, but Psalm 3 is really leading you into a place, leading you through a process with this that is very important. And particularly, we look at at Psalm 3, verse 7. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw. And there it is. There's that impulse. Make them pay. And first of all, if you, if you allow this psalm to lead you into this, one of the first things that you're doing is that you're, you're just having a safe space. You're being given permission, in a sense, to voice your anger and vengeful thoughts in a way that is helpful. God kind of gives you this permission to have this safe space with God and even with others to voice the anger and the frustration. But that's not where it ends. It's not just that. It's not just, okay, let off a little steam and that's all that happens. Because it becomes a transformational process as you engage God in prayer through your anger and vengeful thoughts. Because sort of the second reality of it is that you're entrusting to God. You're saying, God, break their jaw. You're not saying, God, give me the courage to go break their jaw. Right? There's something very powerful about that. There's something aware in which you're saying to God, you're saying and you're acknowledging is an act of faith. I can't see the fairness picture as well as God can see it. I might, through my lens right now, think this is what this person needs and deserves and the world will be better if this happens right now. And when you say, God, you strike them in the jaw. It's a way of saying, God, it's really not my place. I'd love it if you would do this. But you're actually the one that can really know whether that needs to be done or not. You know what I want. Okay, I've made that clear. You know, stop them from what they're doing. Silence them. Incapacitate. Whatever it is. But it's you. It's not me. There's an implicit trust. God sees a picture much bigger than what we see. I say, it's very clear to me. This is what needs to be happening. God steps back and God sees a whole bunch of other stuff. God sees what it's going what's going to be like 10 years from now and the fallout of breaking the jaw here. <laughs> you know, God sees where this is all going and what's best for all involved. 
we talk about God has a plan. And this is where it really helps in a lot of ways. It doesn't just help when you are at a fork in a road in life and do I take this job or that job or, you know, um, why am, is my marriage not working out or why am I not married and I want to be or why is this, you know, a lot, you know God, what's your plan? It's also when you're in trouble and you have something that feels like an enemy to, to say, God, I entrust, you've got some kind of plan here. If it was me, <laughs> you know, I'd take him to court. I'd take him to, you know, I'd put him in jail. I'd, whatever it is. But there's a trust there. But then there's something else. So those are kind of two things that start to happen. You have a space. You begin to trust God that sees something bigger than yourself. But then also, God now has you in a very transformational place if you're praying like this. And this is why. Because the God of the Bible... Um, the God who we will pray about later in the Apostles' Creed when we, when we say, or we'll, we'll not pray, but we'll say out loud the statement of faith that says, then he will come to judge the living and the dead. The God who is judge that we're asking to judge, that we're saying, here, you need to dispense justice, that God throughout the Bible becomes the God of forgiveness and grace. Increasingly, it becomes clear that this is the justice God is also the forgiveness God. The God of undeserved grace. The God who we meet in Jesus who says, love thine enemies. So it's not a very simple reality. I think, I, I think I'm giving us kind of a way to navigate through it. It's difficult, right? Because you have prayers that say, break the jaw, and you have Jesus that says, love thy enemies. But I think that the way to understand that is this transformational place that when you entrust the justice to the just God, you begin to discover, you begin to realize that your make-them-pay impulse is brushing up against the impulse of Jesus' words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I think inevitably it's complex, and maybe I don't completely understand it, but I think there's something to that, that there is that impulse and that we, we need to bring that to God in prayer, but then there's also the God will begin to shape and lead and guide everything towards love thine enemies. And that's the transformation of Psalm 3. And maybe just a, a, an analogy, just a picture to close with. One of the stories I probably have referenced the most in all my preaching is the story of the prodigal son where there's the two brothers, the youngest one takes everything and goes running, takes his inheritance, goes running, wastes it all, and then returns with a kind of a, a sorrowful speech um, that he has prepared. And so if you think about the father in that story who goes running out to meet the son, you realize this is a picture of God's engagement in conflict with us. You know, there's justice that we always have in our relationships. You... I've lost this because of what you've done. You've taken this away from me. I don't have this. I should have had this. You shouldn't have it. That's going on with God in us. There's the justice of the son. He's taken it all. It's very unjust towards the father. And the father going out and not even letting the son finish his apology speech and just filled with compassion and celebration and just immediately enfolding back and restoring back into place is a picture of of kind of what wins out in God's relationship with us 
in amidst all the trouble and conflict that we bring to him? What wins out? Although anger and vengefulness and justice is all mingled into there, what wins out at the end is this story of this incredibly embracing, hugging, forgiving God. The father in that story doesn't even say, like I would, I would probably say, I would probably have a list of things that I want to make sure this son remembers and that he agrees never to, you know, I'd want to start itemizing and make sure and be very, you know, meticulous about the justice here. None of it. Just complete, full restoration. Let that be a picture for us as we journey through the, the, just the mess and the difficulty of conflict and trouble in the world. Let's pray. Our God of grace, may you have much grace with us in our lifetimes of failings and bumblings in conflict and in trouble. When we get so self-righteous and divisive, when we're sure that we're right, when we write people off, when we make little groups and we gossip and we share or we just avoid and we say, I'm so nice and kind because I don't, this stuff doesn't bother me. In all the ways that we bumble through it, you're so forgiving and so gracious. And yet if we want to listen, if we want you in our life, if we want to follow you more, you're going to keep driving us in to the richest path through the messes of this world, the path you took. So lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond to hearing God's word through offering prayers on behalf of our church and the world. The communal uh, response is, Lord, hear our prayer after each request, and then we can join together with the Lord's prayer following that. Let us pray. Father, we continue to lift up our political Mm -hmm. leaders, move in them to set aside greed, pride, and vain ambition. Surround them with your wisdom, patience, and compassion. We pray to the Lord. Father, for those here longing for healing and key relationships in their lives or in relationship patterns and habits that have been around far too long, may your love and acceptance satisfy and may you lead us to a healthy connectedness within your body of Christ. We pray to the Lord. And Lord, for those suffering due to natural disasters, such as in Mozambique, war and famine, such as Yemen, or political turmoil in Venezuela, Lord, we ask that you draw your children close to you. We ask that you swiftly bring relief and peace. We pray to the Lord. And now let us pray the words given by Jesus to his disciples, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your word be done, on earth as in the heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Uh, We continue our response to God through our offering. As the uh, musical offering is being played behind me, uh, we use this time of worship to give back to God and his work. 
from what, she, uh, what he has entrusted to us. Just a special reminder to those visiting, it's not a moment of pressure to give, but we do love getting those contact cards. You can put those in the baskets as they come around. Let's frame this time together by praying the offering prayer. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, you overwhelm us with your great mercy. At the time of our greatest need, you surprised us with your wondrous love. Jesus offered his life for us to remove our dreadful curse. As you draw us into this renewing relationship of love, may we respond with gratitude as we offer the substance of our souls to continue the ministry of Christ. For his name and glory, we pray and present our gifts. Amen.
we enter into this time, starting with the words as our statement of faith, the Apostles' Creed, as we rise in body or in spirit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. Let us pray. Father, we pray to you as our great God who made things good. But we live in a creation that is spoiled and broken. And we connect ourselves to that fall from grace. We connect ourselves to participating in the spoiling and in the corruption of what is good. We find it flowing out of our very hearts. And so we're impressed and incredibly awed by the fact that you chose not to remake the world or throw the first version out, but to commit to a covenant of restoration and renewal and to make all things new eventually through your son Jesus. And so we lift our voices together in praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And God, as we bless you and as we lift up our voices together, we're approaching this table. We're approaching the table of your grace, We're approaching the table that preaches to us the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that we're more of a mess than we care to admit and more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And so now we pray to you, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us with your son Jesus at this table. And whether we're staying in our seat, praying to you or meditating about the place we find ourselves or whether we're getting up and coming forward, we pray that you meet us. And that you're gentle and gracious with our broken and torn and wounded hearts. And that you lead us on the path to life. We pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone says, Amen. Let's have a seat. It's bread. It's a loaf of bread. And on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, the Passover meal that they were having in the upper room, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, shed for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. 
Together we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again.
invite you to stand and receive these words of blessing, rise in body or in spirit, as we listen to words that God speaks over us and receive them as God's blessing, as words that are true and active in your life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.